The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. What we're going to do today is we begin a two-part study of uh, Galatians 5. You may have noticed in reading Galatians that it is there's really a disagreement going on between those who are trying to get believers to practice law, to be live under the law, and those who are uh, completely sold on the idea of grace, that we are saved by grace through faith plus nothing, where it's not of works let's know, so that no one could be able to boast. And But we are his workmanship and created in Christ Jesus, so therefore, once we're saved, the evidence of our being saved is going to include obedience and doing good works and so forth. And so Paul in this book has been fighting vehemently against those who want to try to put believers under the law, take them out from grace and put them under the law. And so here in chapter 5, verses 2 through 12, you have this first part of this embracing grace, how important it is. And the question there, why must we be militant against the enemy of grace, is answered by Paul in this section. And he's beginning this discussion of this 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 whole this this whole subject. It's really amazing to me how many believers don't realize how different salvation by grace is than what is the common fare in many many churches. Uh, legalism reigns supreme in so many churches, and uh, it's what you produce, what you do, what you accomplish that's important. But the fact is, the gospel is all about the grace of God. Now this is, let me read to you the passage that we're looking at. We're looking at Galatians 5, verses 2 through 12. And this is what Paul says, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. Think of that. If you receive circumcision, which was the law of the, it was the mark of the Old Testament. He said, if you do that, Christ will be of no benefit to you because you're saying what I'm trusting is what I have done, not what Christ has done. And he goes on, he says in verse 3, But I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. Because circumcision was just one aspect of the law. It was to take on the mark of being in the old covenant and having a relationship with God. He goes on, You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. That's an interesting thing because people talk about falling from grace as losing your salvation. What Paul is saying is if you've fallen from grace and into this atmosphere of the law, you're not trusting the right thing. The only thing that can save you is the work of Jesus Christ, and it's a, it's a gift from God. It's a grace gift from God, and all you can do is trust him. So when we trust in Christ, we're putting our faith in him. We're believing what the Father says about the Son. We're believing God's testimony concerning his Son. He gave his Son to die for us, and he tells us that that death that Christ experienced paid for our sins. When we trust him, our sins are put away, and we are reconciled to God. So he says, if you're seeking to be justified by law, that is through your own efforts, then you've fallen from grace. You're no longer relating to God in the sphere of grace. He goes on, for we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Let me just say one thing about hope. In this context, and in most contexts in the New Testament, the, the word hope means earnest expectation 
that God will fulfill his promises. And that's what he's talking about here. God has promised that if you put your trust in Christ, that it will ultimately bring you into the place of perfect righteousness in the presence of God. And so he says in verse 6 as an explanation, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now probably the best way we could understand this concept would be to replace circumcision with the word baptism. In Christ Jesus, neither baptism nor no baptism means anything but faith working through love. It is your faith in Christ which does produce loving acts of kindness to our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what matters. You were running well, he says, who who hindered you from obeying the truth. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. Just take in a little bit of law and say, oh, you have to obey these laws to go to heaven. It's okay to, to forget about the rest of them, but you've got to obey these. And if you think that you're getting to uh, having a relationship with God because of your effort, your performance, then you're under law and not under grace. And so he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you, that was those who were legalizers, they wanted them to believe that they had to keep the law in order to gain salvation. He says, I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear judgment, whoever he is. But I, brother, in other words, this is a big sin that is to put on believers to try to convince them that they need to keep the law through their own efforts, them obeying the commandments of the law would give them salvation, means that you weren't saved by Christ. We were saved by Christ, by his efforts. This is the strange thing about the gospel. We are told that we have to trust this person who stood in our place and paid the penalty for our sins and caused us to be reconciled to God through his work. And it's called propitiation. He actually satisfies the demands of the Father in regards to our lives, our sins, and so forth. He says in verse, in verse 10, he says, I have confidence in you in the Lord that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear his judgment, whoever he is. But brethren, if I still preach circumcision, because that's what was, he was accused of, these people who were trying to get people to be circumcised who weren't, weren't circumcised, which would be the Gentiles who came to faith in Christ, he says they were being told that Paul was circumcised because he was a Jew. And he no doubt was, but that was not what he was trusting. He says, but I, brethren, if I still preached circumcision, why would I still be persecuted? Why would they continue to persecute me? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. See, the, the stumbling block he's talking about is if a person trusts in the cross alone, it would make these Judaizers very angry for, the, for them to say that they were saved just by believing in Christ. That's exactly what all the Bible teaches, and it's exactly what the truth is. And then finally, the last verse, he says, I wish that those who are troubling you would even mutilate themselves. And that's a pretty powerful statement. He's saying, it's not enough to circumcise yourself. Go ahead and mutilate, mutilate yourself. Show that you're suffering, and you're, you're trusting your suffering rather than trusting the work of Christ. Uh, this fall from grace, which Paul is opposing, that is that people would move away from grace and start to embrace salvation by works, is really a disastrous move. And the reason is, 
it is, this fall is both a change in theology, and what we mean by that is there was a move from the theology of faith to the theology of circumcision or externalism. In other words, when you see people who put more trust in external things like a picture of Jesus on the wall or a figure of Jesus on a cross, this is when externalism is when external signs of Christ have replaced the internal reality of Christ. The reason that you are being changed is because Christ is living in you. If all you have is pictures on the wall and and little uh, uh, representations of Jesus, that won't save you. What will save you is your trust, your real trust in Jesus Christ. What this is called is bumper sticker Christianity in America because just because people carry a bumper sticker around saying they're a Christian doesn't mean that they actually have come to understand the gospel and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's just looking at the externals. What God looks at is the heart. Man looks on the outer man, but God looks on the heart, and he knows those who have truly trusted in Jesus Christ. So this is shadow over substance. It's having a a sign of some kind that's more important than the reality. And of course, he's saying that isn't what we are looking at. We are talking about a, a, a gospel that is trusting in Jesus Christ And the reason we're saved is because of what Christ has done. He has actually worked on our behalf. So we receive this salvation as a gift. There is no particular prayer given to us in Scripture that a person has to pray in order to be saved. But what is given is clear instructions about you have to come to the place where you put your trust in Jesus Christ because of the work he has done on your behalf. And if your trust is in that, then you will be saved and you are saved by grace. So the fall from grace is really disastrous. First of all, it's a change of theology. We saw that. It's, it's moving from the theology of faith alone to a theology of externalism. Secondly, it is a change in attitude. Uh, and the consequences of this disastrous fall from grace into law, is the consequences of, of it is these things. First, Christ will be of no benefit to you. That's that's amazing. If you're trusting Christ plus something else, then you don't get credit for what Christ did. You must cr- trust in Christ alone. And this is something that's for some folks are so difficult to understand. If I trust Christ plus I trust my keeping the law as the basis of my salvation, I'm going to have times of great despair or great pride because I was able to uh, do what nobody else could do. But he says, if you do that, if you trust Christ, but then add something to it, then Christ is of no benefit to you. And he and he also tells us that if we were to turn to this grace, or turn to works rather than grace, we would be obligated to keep the whole law, and and Christ would be of no benefit to us. We would have been severed from Christ. That's really strong language. We would have fallen from grace. Our whole life, we are told. We are, our life today as believers is we are ensphered in grace. This is what Romans 5 tells us. We have been put into grace and it's all around us. It's all of God's dealings with us. He, he treats us based upon grace, everything he does for us. The life of grace is glorious. In verse 5 and 6, he says that the life of grace is, first of all, waiting eagerly for righteousness, not working frantically. In other words, being a Christian in, in grace, based upon grace, you're not 
you're not working frantically in order to be accepted, but instead you're waiting eagerly for the righteousness that is going to be displayed when we come into the presence of God. When Christ offers us to the Father with great joy, he's going to have the joy. His joy is going to be manifest when he presents us to the Father as those who were saved by his work on the cross. And the grace life is waiting eagerly for righteousness, not working frantically for it. Faith working through love, not law. In other words, this is how we show our love to God, is we do it through love, by loving people and loving God. And the enemy of grace is treacherous. That is Satan himself. He's treacherous in trying to get believers to move away from grace and embrace law. He wants to do several things. First, he wants to block your progress. He doesn't want you to grow, and you can't grow without grace. We grow in grace We grow through grace. We grow by grace. It's by God giving us this solution to our problem as a free gift. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it, but we receive it freely. Secondly, he wants to lure you from the path. That's how he puts it in verse 8, that Satan wants to lure us from the path of grace. And then he wants to infect you with a little error. He just wants to include some error in your theology so that you don't have a true picture of who Jesus Christ is. He wants to impress you with status. That's what he's impressed with. He, what he said that prefigured his fall was uh, that I, I will be like God. I want to be like God. That was his whole uh, motivation. He wanted people to look at him in the same way they look at God. He wanted to be a competition to God. And he wanted to remove the cross from Christianity. There are, there are people there in every stage of the church's existence who've wanted to remove the cross, for example, from hymn books. They don't want to talk about blood and they don't want to talk about Christ hanging on a cross because it just doesn't fit their understanding of Christianity as a religion. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with a living God that you come to have through faith in Christ. Faith in him because he has done a work that has sufficiently dealt with your sin and your guilt and has made you free. You are absolutely free in Christ. And he wants to promote religion, not Christ. That's what Satan wants to do. He would much rather you join a religious organization and practice religion rather than simply trust in Christ. Um, I, I, Jack Miller used to say, uh, cheer up, you're worse than you think. I tried that on a guy today who was very self-deprecating and judging himself. And I told him about this saying that Jack Miller had was, cheer up, you're worse than you think. That is, grace is far greater than you ever imagined. He says, you're worse than you think, but God loves you far more than you can imagine. And he has shown us his love. So this is the the enemy of grace. Uh, It's Satan himself who wants to do these things, block your progress, lure you from the path, infect you, with a little error, impress you with status, remove the cross from Christianity, and promote religion instead of Christ. But this is really a key issue because it's all about the fact that God is jealous concerning his son. He wants us to put our trust in the son based upon grace that he has found a way to save us as a gift rather than us earning it through our own efforts. And so that's what this is all about. And he, what he is saying is if you turn from this grace and embrace religion instead of grace in Christ, you will lose your, you will not have a salvation. 
you have not trusted the right thing. So our responsibility is when we preach the gospel is to preach a gospel of grace, that this is how a person, an undeserving person, comes to receive the most glorious gift in all the world, that when he puts his trust in Christ as the basis of his salvation, and we receive it, we receive this gift of salvation, what we have done is we have just manifested the glorious gift of God. We have, we have manifested grace. This is what grace is. God giving us a gift that we don't deserve, but he loves to give. He freely gives it when we simply put our trust in his own son. So I hope you read this section of scripture and think about it and think about your Christian life. Are you holding firmly to the grace of God? That's what Paul wants to see happen in the lives of believers. He wants us to live our lives in such a way that we are clearly trusting the work of Christ rather than our own work and our own worth. And that's what salvation is all about. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast, because we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. And what he's saying is God does love to see good works in his children, but they're not the basis of their salvation. They are the result of their salvation and us becoming uh, the, the product of God's effort in Christ Jesus because he has died for us and has been raised for us. So keep that in mind. Hold it dear to your heart. It's one of the most glorious things. Read Romans chapter 5, the first six, eight verses, and you'll find a beautiful picture of how God shows his love towards us, uh, and it's through his son, through what he has done through the son. This is God's opinion, and he wants it to be your opinion as well. Let me pray in closing. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious gift of this gospel that we have received, that Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he came into the world, he stood in our place, and he suffered this, the penalty for sin that we deserved, and he imputed to us his very righteousness so that we stand complete in him before you. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you for this gift. We have nothing to brag about. We have only to uh, give our thanks that you have blessed us with such a rich and glorious blessing, and we do thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.